Thank you for tuning in once again. Lone Raff here. Gonna start this out, action number one. Politicians are still clueless on cryptocurrency mechanisms. So you have an article written two days ago, roughly two days ago, by Billy Bambro, hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly, on Forbes, titled, Senator Elizabeth Warren introduces a game-changing crypto bill as the price of list of cryptos surge. This is the type of thing that I've been seeing over the past decade on crypto. People don't understand what it is and they don't take the time and effort to investigate it. So we get down a few paragraphs into the article and it says, quote, no one can argue that Russia can evade all sanctions by moving all its assets into crypto, end quote. Former presidential hopeful Warren said during a Senate Banking Committee. Former presidential hopeful Warren said during a Senate Banking Committee hearing where she introduction of the yeah there's a typo but that's okay uh, where she introduction of where she introduced the Digital Asset Sanctions Compliance Enhancement Act quote but for Putin's ob oligarchs or trying to hide you know a billion or two of their wealth crypto looks like a pretty good option end quote quote this is a bill that would authorize u.s president joe biden to sanction foreign crypto firms that are doing business with sanctioned russian entities and authorize the treasury secretary to act end quote she said if we go down a little bit we see it says speaking at the hearing jonathan levin which hopefully i'm pronouncing that right the co-founder of bitcoin i didn't know satoshi had a brother and crypto analysis company Ch Chainalysis denied those hit by sanctions could evade them by hopping from one blockchain to another or using crypto wallets that don't require identifying information and crypto mixing services. Quote, the scenario that you described where an oligarch has a billion dollars to be able to launder requires significant amounts of liquidity to be able to obfuscate that amount of money through the use of cryptocurrency. End quote, said Levin. None of these people appear to know really what they're talking about. Perhaps the crypto people, Satoshi's brother and friend, have to speak in more plain, common terms. That's why they're not being completely accurate. Let's answer the question. Could entities that are supporting the war that would like to preserve their value in something other than rubles do so with crypto? That's the first question. Second question, can the U.S. do anything about it? Short answer to both, no and no. There's a lot of assumptions built in there that I have, so let's go through them. So number one, can rich people supporting the Russian effort to invade another country? And I, I don't even know why. Everything I read gives 30 to 40 different reasons why they're invading, but none of them make any sense. They're like, oh, they're racist. Oh, they're being supported by NATO. Okay, why don't they invade the US or some other NATO country? Like, wh why are they only invading one NATO country? None of this makes any sense. And maybe I sound stupid, but that's okay because I don't understand politics, so I am stupid in that aspect. However, taking my stupid angle on things politically, can an entity that is holding their value in rubles 
which is down exactly 32% from last year, can they take that value and transfer it into crypto? Anybody, anywhere in the world, can trade anything for anything as long as someone else is willing to trade it the other way. For example, if you were to take a bucket of water and go find someone who will trade it for a goat, someone may be willing to do that and vice versa. If you have a goat, someone may be willing to trade a bucket of water for a goat. So theoretically, you could trade anything for anything as long as someone else is willing to do such a trade. Rephrasing the first question, is it possible that they'll move all their value into crypto? Yes, it is possible. On to question number two, can the US government stop these people from trading their currency into crypto? No, they can never do it. It's impossible. Let's say Coinbase has entities in Russia with Know Your Customer, meaning they have the details of each individual linked to each account. And let's say the US says Coinbase, you can no longer allow these people to trade any of their currencies into crypto or vice versa. This is basically a joke, okay? I can go through a list and sit here for 24 hours straight explaining the different ways they could get into crypto or any other currency. So number one, they go to their friend who has a Coinbase account and they use a strategy to move their rubles into crypto on Coinbase. The friend's name is not on the sanction list. Now they do have a little bit more details, like if it's more than $10,000 and all of this, but guess what? For a million dollars, that's only a hundred transactions split it up to be underneath the 10,000, well, technically maybe 101 transactions. And let me tell you, on the crypto network, a hundred transactions is a drop in the bucket. So let's just simplify the problem. Let's say people that are supporting the war want to stabilize their currency by getting into the US dollar, which isn't a great way to do it, but let's just say that's what's happening for our simplified example. So let's say the US is gonna pass a law or a bill or whatever they want to call it. I don't even know this political stuff, so I do apologize. Let's say they pass this thing. What's going to happen if there, if there are any sanctioned people that want to get into the US dollar? It's going to be easier than you realize. So step one, and I'm not exposing anyone to anything because the Russians had their crypto exchanges up way before anyone in US did. So they're way ahead of US as far as what they can do with exchanging currencies to other currencies. And it wasn't just the ruble in their markets that they were able to trade either, completely anonymously back in the day. So they can use any non-US company to convert to crypto. Once they have it in crypto, let's say Ethereum, they could then convert it into US dollar token or the Tether or any other stable coin, even day. Now what's the US gonna do? How are you gonna stop Ethereum from running? Go door to door and ask people to turn off the GPUs? The US government is a joke. They don't have a clue what is going on in the crypto world. They think that there's some big financial system running and that they can shut it down or stop things or target people because that's how they've always run. Sorry, US government, you're behind the times by 50 years or more. Let me give a basic analogy so you can get a gist of what I'm saying. So let's say we're back in the ancient days of the United States when there's cowboys, all right? And people held gold for money and the US dollar just got started. Yeah, I'm not going to be historically accurate here. I'm making up this scenario, all right? So the US dollar just got introduced, and the U United States is worried about people moving between states. So they build these way stations to see if people are moving their gold. So if people move their gold, that means they're moving permanently. What they don't realize is they're weighing all these wagons going, yep, there's nobody moving across the different states because we know for sure there's no gold crossing. But what they don't realize is that you can convert gold to the US dollar. 
and the US dollar is too light to notice when you weigh somebody's wagon. And anybody who actually goes across with gold is actually dumb as hell because you can see them weighing every wagon up ahead. So all you gotta do is turn around, go to the nearest town and convert your gold to US dollar. That's exactly what the government's doing. They're thinking, we're gonna set up this massive effort to stop this. It's gonna be a 100% effort with 0.0000000001% impact when there's an idiot who accidentally uses their <laughs> no, your customer account to convert the ruble to some crypto. If you read into more of what they're talking about, it's just a complete joke. They're clueless. They don't have the slightest idea of what to do or how. Now, I would like to come on a counterpoint here to this whole article, their decisions and what I've been talking about and say, converting the ruble into crypto actually will devalue the ruble further. So let's say there are 10 exchanges in Russia. There's a lot more than 10, but let's say there's only 10 that will exchange ruble for crypto. Now, if they see billions of US dollar value of rubles coming in, they're not gonna say, oh, you want some crypto? Here you go, here you go. They're gonna be like, wow, everyone's getting out of the ruble. Let's increase the, the trade-off value. And they can set any value to one. They can be like the gas stations. If gas stations raise the price of gas, here in the US to $50 a gallon. I think it's around five to seven, depending on where you live. If they raise it to $50 per gallon though, everyone would just pay it because they have to. I get it though, I do, I get it. The US is likely getting analytical feedback showing that people and organizations supporting the invasion are not being impacted because they can just convert their money into crypto or some other currency without any issue. When they do that, it could devalue the ruble further for everybody else, not for themselves. And so that's probably why they're thinking, what can we do to prevent that? But it's too late. It's kind of like you're a farmer, you got two fields. One is full of disease and one is healthy. And they're far apart enough where the disease can't spread. So you go out and you light the field that has the disease in it on fire. It's gone. There's no, there's no type of a fire truck or a plane or nothing that can put the fire out. And then as soon as the fire gets out of control, you realize, oops, that was the wrong field. There's nothing you can do. It's too late. Your good field's gone. That's where we are at right now. The Titanic. The Titanic hit the iceberg. It's sunk. Everybody's thinking, oh, we got emergency flares. Surely another boat will come rescue us before we go under. If, if we will go under, because we have special bulkheads that are designed so we won't sink no matter what iceberg we hit. Worst case, get in the lifeboats. After the fact, oh, there wasn't enough lifeboats. Nobody thought that it could sink, so they thought there were fireworks, not emergency flares, and so forth. I know there's a lot of controversy around the Titanic. I'm just using the mythical story, maybe real, about it to explain it. U.S. government thinks that they're doing the right things, and maybe they are, but from my angle, they're a joke. It's too bad we don't have more business people in leadership spots because politicians are terrible decision makers. All right, that's action number one. Massive rant there. Action number two, do only good every day. Now, usually I'll give an example of something that people can do to do only good every day, but I'd like to take the time to talk about something related to do only good every day. So I'd like to start this out talking about visiting rural areas. In rural areas here in the United States, I've only visited seven or eight of them. It's a completely different culture. People treat each other like human beings. There's no litter anywhere. Everything's better. And I say that because I've grown up and lived in California my entire life. When I went to college outside of California, 
it took me about three months to figure out none of these people that are being friendly to me are trying to scam me on something. Not even joking. You walk down the sidewalk between classes, you have a complete stranger coming toward you, and they say, hello, how are you doing? And for me, I'm like, whoa, shields up, what are they trying to sell? Nope, nothing. They're just treating me like a human being. That's how human beings treat each other. I just didn't know that because I never was treated like a human being before. So when I came back from college, I had changed my entire perspective and attitude on how I treated other people. And 99% of my efforts to do good were taken advantage of outside of organizational efforts, which is why I try and spend as much of my time and money into organizational goodness. Other than what I can do in a closed loop with only me involved, such as collecting litter off the street, even then people have thrown things at me as I collected trash and stuff like that. So it's not necessarily painless. If you are doing only good, don't get taken advantage of because people will see your goodness and they will try to put out that flame for various reasons. I don't want to get into it because this is do only good and talking about bad things is terrible. All right, let's talk about action number three. I have been talking about hash rates and node power the last few broadcasts. However, I'd like to kind of change that. They weren't supposed to be related to hash rates and power. There are supposed to be other analytical aspects of things, but we lost all our tools and our links and our contacts, still trying to retrieve them. May, likely won't. I had like 48 hours to come up with something from the moment our system failed until we had a broadcast. So, so let's just call it action number three, decentralized technologies. The usefulness and the value of the different systems for example, Bitcoin or Ethereum or Tezos or Cardano or Celo or any of the other crypto systems can actually be measured week to week using various different methodologies. Now, social media, public media, professional media, and the rest of things that are highly visible are mainly focused on the US dollar value of the crypto. However, a couple things they don't realize is that most of these cryptos could be broken down to a small value as you want. So they're choosing an arbitrary value on one side and then trying to say how much it's worth. And then they use various different tokens. For example, one Bitcoin, one Ethereum, and one Cardano. And so we're trying to find ways to explain the value and the change of value of these different systems. And that's part of the reason why hash rate was initially brought in and the amount of pools for Cardano was initially brought in and things along those lines because those are the things that bring value to those systems. The other things that we wanted to bring in were the different tools, the variations of the tools, because the more decentralized the system is, the more stable it is due to competition, due to security, and so forth. For example, if one system has a flaw in it, a security flaw, and it's the only system, that's going to make the value of the crypto go down significantly. However, if there's 20 different tools that do the same thing and only one, even two, even three, have the security flaw in it, the rest of them can be moved to and the system can continue to be used. So there's one massive hole in all crypto right now. And this existed back in the day when computers first came out. Well, let me rephrase that. This existed back in the day when personal computers first came out. Steve Jobs said, we're going to put a personal computer in every person's home. And what he didn't realize is that he would eventually bring these personal computers into people's pockets and on their wrists. Everybody has a personal computer. And it's not just in their home, it's on their person. And Apple didn't stand alone in this initiative. Microsoft, IBM, all these other companies also wanted to help to achieve the same goal. They succeeded beyond what they thought. 
Crypto has been around for over a decade now, and we don't have any of these same groups. What did Microsoft and Apple and IBM and all these companies do? They bridged the gap between technology, business, and personal use. They developed hardware and software to bring the ones and zeros up to the surface where these processes that people performed on these devices became a part of the regular day that they couldn't live without. My watch I use for all my timers, especially for wake up alarms on days I can't sleep. I, in the past, I've had significant difficulty sleeping through alarms. But when you have something in your wrist that vibrates, at least for me, I can't sleep through it. I just wake up immediately. That type of gap building not only doesn't exist in crypto, but it's far worse. I was watching a Cardano video made by someone in IOHK or one of their partners or something. I can't even tell. And they were going through specifics on how to use Plutus contracts. No, I didn't understand any of it, but I was still watching it so I can get a gist of what's going on. And he says this, The best thing about building Plutus contracts, in the only language you can, is that it's in Haskell, just like everything else we do. Now let me tell you, I don't even know what Haskell is, I couldn't even spell it. I was able to look it up, and I've surveyed all the developers I know. When I say developers, I mean software engineers, or I don't know what other terms you might call them. None of them have ever even heard of Haskell. I think that's how you pronounce it, by the way. So not only did I think it was a complete joke, that somebody who helped develop Cardano, or is at least supporting it somehow, tries to put things off like, it's just like boiling water. Like, oh, it's, it's, it's just written in Haskell, so everyone can do it. Well, thanks for nothing. My point being, not only are they unable to bridge the gap to people, but they don't realize the gap exists. And while the opportunity to develop really great tools on these systems exists, there's so many different cryptos and the public is only exposed to get-rich-quick schemes and the dollar value per second. Oh, it's up 2%. It's down 40%. It's up 30%. That no developer is likely to invest their own time, money, and effort into developing a tool on one of these blockchains that may end up having zero value. Let me give you an example. Say I wanted to develop a platform on Cardano. I don't know how many years it would take me to learn Haskell. And I do hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. The person that was speaking had a very strong accent, so I don't even know if they were pronouncing it correctly. For me to learn Haskell, by the time I figure it out, Cardano could be worth 0.000000 dollars. And I just wasted all that time because nobody else in the world uses a language called Haskell. Literally nobody. And if I go for Tezos, learn how to do their smart contracts, or Ethereum, or any of the others, I'm in the exact same boat. I mean, Ethereum, I'm in the exact same boat. I mean, Ethereum, how can somebody try and build a platform on something like that? Anyway, in my narrow view, it's the developers of the systems that have failed. In contrast, if you take an organization, let's say like Microsoft with Azure, and when I say Azure, I'm talking about their cloud service, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that correctly. It supports every language. Literally, you name the language, it supports it. And that's how they've bridged the gap to tech people that's what cloud's for. Cloud's not for common people like you and me. So they've done their job well there, and that's why they're so successful. These crypto technologies, though, terrible. And I've tried myself to try and get more invested into Cardano. And I make a fun of it a lot and put it down a lot. But let me tell you, Cardano, from what I can tell, from where I stand, Cardano is the future. But only if organizations stand up, build the bridge between the gap. And one of those organizations is Armada Alliance. I just want to Shout out to Shimada Alliance. 
Pretty cool little group there. Without the Armada Alliance, we can never hope to achieve to get a pool up and running. So one of our goals before we started the show was to get a pool up and running. And unfortunately, we were unsuccessful. The official documentation was a joke. But with the Armada Alliance documentation, it's literally just step by step by step. You just follow what they say to do. However, why am I doing what they're saying? To be honest, I am completely clueless. And I don't really like taking steps I don't know what I'm doing. So I try to investigate most of the steps that they say to do. And it's not like they're trying to build in some malicious step or something. Because they're not. I can guarantee that. It's just that the official documentation is non-existent. I wanted to point out that Armada Alliance is helping to bridge that gap there. So if you're interested in starting a pool, you're if you're not even into crypto at all, and you're just like, I'd like to dip my toes in. First of all, you're going to have to buy some Cardano to start a pool. Not just a dollar, not not $10,000 like you had to originally. You can buy around $500 and start a pool. You won't get any money back from it, but you can be involved. And if enough people do, it's going to really help the network continue to be stable. Now we're going to talk about what actually happened with us getting a pool up. The person we got to help us said... You can't start your pool because there's no hardware available. <laughs> so it's all sold out, being scalped. And we refuse to purchase anything that's scalped. So we're going to be waiting here at least one or two months before we can look at buying hardware. The person that's helping us said they already purchased the hardware for us. It's roughly $500 for everything, all the wires and everything. It's going to consume... They said about 50% of our total internet bandwidth, not per second, but we are limited per month in our homes. We have multiple homes, so I'm gonna run one for my home if I can ever get it. But the reality is it's almost been an entire year and we're unable to start one because the gap is so wide. All right, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. See you again next week.